Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It's just like your family treats you. Find your healthy family at northmemorial.com slash family. Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast, coming to you from U.S. Bank Stadium after the Vikings escaped with a 19-17 win over the Detroit Lions, joined by Ben Gessling and Jim Suhan of the Star Tribune. Um, ben, Jim, that's it, kind of the way to phrase it, right? Escaped with a win. Where yeah, I don't, really I don't know that anybody about what just probably happened. feels too good about it. I'm not sure that anyone should. I mean, that had the potential until Kirk Cousins drives him down and Greg Joseph hits a 54-yarder to win the game to be one of the probably top five most stunning losses I've seen in 10 years covering this team. I mean, you're up 10 with five minutes left on a team that hasn't won and a team you haven't lost to since 2017, and you are 37 seconds away from losing the game despite the fact that the Lions really hadn't done a lot offensively all day, and when they did – have opportunities they either gave the ball away or decided to punt instead of trying to make the most of their opportunities. So to win this one it buys them a little leeway, but that had that game turned into a loss, I, I think it would have uh, been awfully interesting to see how the Vikings responded, organizationally, I mean, this week. Yeah, I think – all heck could have broken loose if they lost this game. Uh, this is a must-win game, and they almost gave it away. And I don't know if you're one and four. And I mean, the players in the post-game press conference, and Andrew, you, you noted this when we're you know, off the air just chatting. Uh, the players in the post-game press conferences, even it's like, even they didn't seem to know how to react to this. It's like, well, I guess we're glad, but then again, I hated the play calls, and we. Uh, it was it was the weirdest post-game victory press conference group of press conference i've ever seen so if yeah so if they lose that one they might actually feel the need to do something and i think eric kendricks was the most interesting comment i'd heard post game was kendricks was asked about what was your confidence level in the offense going out there when they had 30 some seconds left and maybe i think it was two timeouts to try to win that game after the defense had just given it up and eric goes i could sure i guess i could tell you i'm confident yeah but we had just given up the score, and it was nerve-wracking, meaning like you could put yourself in that seat, and you know you can't trust the offense to march down. The, the, Mike Zimmer didn't trust the offense to march down there right before halftime when they, they basically sat on the ball with two timeouts and 40 seconds left. Almost the same situation in terms of how much time was left, but they had fewer timeouts to work with in the second half, and obviously it's do or die at that moment. And so I don't know. I think Kendrick's kind of alluded to what the coaches wouldn't say, at least Mike Zimmer wouldn't say, and that, yeah, no, we didn't really have a whole lot of confidence at that point because for 30 seconds there, the season was kind of on life support. And I guess, Ben, with with moving forward, you had just said a stat to me that for your game story, I'm assuming tomorrow, that the teams that they face now in these next six games are 20-9 and nine or something like that? Yes. They are 29 and the Ravens play tomorrow night, so they will either be 20-10 and 10 or 21 and 9, but yeah, pretty good. Um, the only losing team in that bunch is the 49ers, who are 2 and 3, and uh, just lost to the Cardinals. But other than that, it's all winning teams for the next five weeks. Four of those teams have one loss at the moment the Cowboys, the Ravens, at least for the time being, uh, the Chargers, and the Packers are all one loss teams. And that's Four of those games in a row out of that stretch. They go to Carolina next week. Carolina lost today. Didn't look very good in the process. So 
the Vikings could win next week and go into the bye week at three and three and say after all of our issues early, all is well. We should be better off. We've fixed everything. We're ready to go. We know we have a tough stretch. You, you could hear the messaging go that way, but that stretch after the bye, especially if they're not better than this, that's going to be awfully tough for them to come out and really make much of it, I think. So it could get ugly and, uh, and as uncomfortable as the celebration between Mike Zimmer and Kirk Cousins was at the end of that game. What did you both make of it? Jim, you kind of wrote part of your column about just how that awkward moment kind of resembled this, the post-game feeling in general. Yeah, and I, I'm not going to pretend I know exactly what that was. Uh, I don't want to make it more than it was. It looks looked to me like Cousins was either genuinely happy and celebrating in a very awkward way, which would be very on brand for Kirk Cousins to be very awkward, almost robot-like. I am about to celebrate. Let me grab you and shake you like a human would. Uh, and then you had, you know, Zimmer, uh, like, okay, Kirk Cousins is shaking me. Oh, I guess he's not going to kill me. I guess he's actually happy. I'll smile and shove him back. And then he had a security guard going, wait, I'll save the day. Uh, just bizarreness, you know? I mean, and the thing is, even if you want to view it as completely innocent, and that might absolutely be the case, just weird. I mean, I, you know, one, one line I had in my column is, I'm trying to think of another veteran quarterback who would walk up to a 65-year-old uh, head coach and grab him and shake him. I, it just seemed weird to me. And, Ben, what, what did you think of that? And what, I guess, what did you hear about what that moment was all about? Yeah, it, it certainly looked awkward. I, I asked around about it a little bit after the game. From what I was told, it was all, at least from, I think from Cousins' perspective, was a, a celebration that, yes, looked awkward, but was all about just being excited, winning the game. He gave him, from what I was told, and, and kind of the, the best lip reading I could do, he gave him the old, you like that, um, as he grabbed the top of Zimmer's sweatshirt and uh, kind of shook him for a second there. I don't know if Zimmer expected that. I mean, Zimmer almost looked startled in he the way did. he kind of pushed him back. He, he It was not... The pushback to me did not look like a, you know, kind of a, yeah, Kirk, let's go. It looked like a, I, you either just scared the crap out of me. And we've all reacted to things like that before when somebody startles us and, and we probably react a little bit harshly. But I I didn't think that Zimmer was particularly pleased about that until, you know, thank God the security guard was there to save him. Um yeah, that one, it, it was a little weird, but at least from Cousins' perspective, I, th I think it was just a, a uh, an emotional celebration after he comes down to, to lead the drive and win the game. Yeah, and Cousins was asked about it afterward. He had said basically what you said, Ben. I was just happy. I was just celebrating with, with Mike Zimmer um, in that moment. Uh, do you like that, though? I wouldn't be shocked if that a tinge of, hey, look what we can do when you give us a chance in a short amount of time. Like they didn't, and I'd ask Kirk after the game. You know, you you just talked about how much confidence you have in your two-minute offense, uh, how well you did at the end of that game to put yourself in that position. They did it at the end of the Arizona game as well. Don't you wish you had that same shot right before halftime? And of course, he deflected and said, "We're going to run whatever the coaches want." But we heard a lot of that from players today after the game, saying, "Whatever the plays are called, we got to do it. We can't blame the coaching staff." Eric Kendricks, the All-Pro veteran on that defense, went as far as to say. It is kind of on the coaches, the fact that we're getting gashed by the run early in some of these games. He had said, we're not adjusting quick enough on the sidelines. Some of these adjustments we're getting to at halftime, we should be doing sooner in the games. And then Kendricks came back around and said, it's also on us as players. 
we got to see things and adjust on the field when we have to, and because we're all veterans for the most part in that defense. But when you're a two and three team like this, that's one close games when you've snuck them out, at least against the Detroit Lions here and lost some close games, you can see it kind of splitting at the seams a little bit in terms of they're not totally finger pointing, but you can see the roots of some of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's um, there's certainly a lot more editorializing, I think, than we would typically see from a team that likes to talk about, you know, we're all kind of of one accord or we all see things the same way. There's a lot of that talk of everybody buys into this this same kind of lunch pail mentality that they want to talk about having. But yeah, there there's some uh, there's some seeds of that, and it's going to be really interesting to see how that goes in the next set. Well, it's seven weeks, six games, the bye weeks in there as well. How much tension that puts on this thing? Because if they come out of that in playoff contention then they're going to be able to say, I think with a straight face, we're pretty good because the teams you're going to play, you're not going to beat a lot of those teams by faking it. But I could also see that stretch kind of breaking their spirit. And after that, it's kind of anybody's guess, especially when you have as many players who are kind of in limbo as far as their futures as this team has. And Jim, to that point, I guess about just the, the 2021 season and kind of the direction they're headed to me anyway, this seems to affirm kind of who they are a little bit. Like, they're just not that good. A, good. a good team comes in and beats up on a winless Lions team. They weren't able to do that. And so to me, this was a good situation for them to separate themselves. And even then, I don't know how much we would have learned from them had they beaten up on the Lions, but they couldn't even do that. I thought they needed to win and win big and rest their starters and kind of give themselves a moment to, to look ahead to uh, playing the Panthers, which is a big game for them. I look at it, you know, even if they go three and three over this very important six-game stretch, that still just gets them to five and six, you know. And then then they'll probably beat the Lions, and they're six and six. And then, yes, that would put you in contention. But let's be honest: what they've been talking about here for years is winning a Super Bowl or making a playoff run, and this doesn't feel anything like that. It doesn't. And and Ben, we've heard the Wolves talk before. Last time they were available to talk about the direction of this team, about how they wanted to consistently be knocking on the door. And it just doesn't feel like you're really knocking on the door of a Super Bowl with where they're headed. I guess it depends on what you define as knocking on the door. I mean, if you if going nine and eight and making the playoffs is tantamount to knocking on the door, then sure. But this is still a team that in the first seven seasons with Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman together, they've played in one NFC title game, and they got, they got beat by 31 points in that game after winning here in a fashion that saved them from a collapse. As we all talk about the Minneapolis Miracle, they were up 17 nothing at halftime of that game. So the, the narrative is a lot different if Stephon Diggs does not take that ball to the end zone in the, the unforgettable moment that we all witnessed four years ago. But as far as being able to make the claim that they're knocking on the door, I don't know if you define that as making deep playoff runs, the the receipts are not there. And it at some point, I suppose, comes down to who defines knocking on the door as what. And Rick Spielman will probably have his chance to say to the Wolves, hey, I mean, say they go 9-8 and eight and make the playoffs. He'll be able to say, we've made the playoffs half the time that we've had this thing together that's better than you guys have done at any point in your ownership of the team before that but 
comparing yourself to Brad Childers and Leslie Frazier and Mike Tice is not a terribly high bar to clear, especially if you're asking for a longer tenure of employment together than almost any NFL coach and GM have enjoyed. I think at some point it, you probably, if, if you're the Wilfs, are in your right mind to say, we need to see a little bit more if we're going to keep going with this year after year. And winning this game, I guess is, it puts a Band-Aid over the issues they show. They can only say they won it. But, yeah, the way the way they won it, I, don't, I can't imagine the Wolves look at this and, and think any better. It, it must be a reaction like the locker room had. For what it's worth, I had heard the Wolves weren't even at this game because there was a wedding in the family and they were going to be gone. And so I just imagine if this had ended the way it did, or excuse me, this had ended 40 seconds earlier, right when they lost, you know, when the touchdown, the Lions scored to go ahead late. If they had lost this game and the Wolves weren't even here to see it and you just have to learn secondhand or, or pull it up, I just can't imagine how that goes across. And they did win it, but I can't imagine the ownership is feeling all that much better about it. Um, as we go into discussing kind of the minutia of this, though, there were some things that went right. At least Greg Joseph made the game-winning field goal. Everson Griffin looks like the same pro bowler that they had had on this roster in 2019 and, and years before that. Uh, Daniil Hunter has already eclipsed the sack total of the Vikings sack leader from last year. And Yannick Ngakwe with his six and a half. Um, Jim, does this defense look like something that can at least keep them in some of these games as you start looking at that schedule down the road? Well, they played two games in a row that felt like really important games against two completely different kinds of teams, two different classes of teams, and both of them ran the ball pretty easily against them. Uh, I do like, of course, I like Hunter and Griffin, the way they're pass, rushing the passer right now. We know Kendricks is good enough. Uh, but the whole idea of Mike Zimmer's defense is stop the run and then we can get after you. And they're not stopping the run. Uh, and they offensively, they've scored – one touchdown in two consecutive games, and they needed two fourth-quarter 54 or 55-yard field goals to win this one. So I, I just can't – yeah, you're right. Hey, the defensive line is much better than it was last year because of Hunter, because of Griffin, uh, but they're not stopping the run, and I, I think that good teams are just going to take advantage of that. And that was without Michael Pierce, obviously, at nose. Yeah. Ben, Anthony Barr makes his debut, but it was a really kind of, you know – Nondescript. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. We just didn't see anything from him. He was credited with four tackles, none of them behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, you just didn't see a whole lot from Anthony Barr. But um, do you have any indication with Michael Pierce? I think you, were, you had said or reported that he was going to be out a while. Is that right? Yeah, that's what he had told teammates is that he's going to be out a while. I don't know what a while means. I've been trying to get a little more specificity on that. I think the fact that we saw him at least going through warm-ups a couple days this week was – probably a better sign than I thought we might see. Um, now, it's <clears throat> it's an elbow injury. It's not a hamstring or a, a knee or anything that prevents you from being terribly mobile, but uh, I, I thought that was not a, a terrible sign. Um, but I, I would be, given that description of what we know at the moment, I would be surprised if a while just means one week. On yeah, if you're the Vikings, you're hoping that's the case. The fact he wasn't on IR, I guess, too, is a sign you would think yep. they view him as coming back within that two- to three-week window. Um, and a bye week probably helps with that. Yeah, and we did see, too, Christian Derrissaw making his debut for the Vikings. Um, what did you, Jim, what did you think of their plan here, kind of rotating him in, and then at the very end when they needed to move the ball, they kept Rashad Hill in there, not Derrissaw. I get it. They got to get Derrissaw on the field. They have to do better than Rashad Hill. Derrissaw's the number one pick. He was supposed to – fix things. So I understand them breaking him in. I could also see that 
causing all kinds of problems. I mean, offensive line is all about continuity and cohesiveness, and that, that's just something you would have liked to see them sort through in the preseason and had there. So I, so I understand them doing it. I can't see. I can't say I really see it working out all that well. Yeah, because they only rotated him for four drives. They decided to give each guy their own drive. Dearsaw played half the drives Rashad Hill did, but ended up playing just nearly as many snaps because of how quickly Rashad Hill's drives went. We're not going to assign yardage and points to tackles like the Vikings have done before with Rashad Hill. Do you guys remember when Mike Zimmer was like, Rashad Hill's X and X is a starter? I asked tackle or something wins. like that. Tackle Forgot about wins. that one. <laughs> to, don't get me wrong. They, the you coach, guys look at stats way too much. coaching staff loves Rashad Hill for a variety of reasons. Um, number one, because he's just a reliable veteran who's not going to make mental mistakes. But they reached pretty deep to go for that one. Of this is <laughs> this is how good he is. He's like it was like seven and one as a starter. And this was before this year, obviously. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I had forgotten about tackle wins. Uh, <laughs> for some reason, that one hasn't caught on. Uh, so we'll see what Christian Darius saw with the plan is going forward, but the Vikings plan to keep rotating him in until they feel comfortable enough to just give the reins to him at left tackle. And we'll have to see how that ends up going. Um, but the offense just couldn't get anything going against the Lions defense that like, I know they held Baltimore to 19 points, not that long ago, but you know, they had just gotten Trey flowers back. They had just lost their best pass rusher before that to injury. They were without their top draft pick at corner and Jeff Okuda. This was a team that you should have ran all over, even without Dalvin Cook in this game. And for Kirk Cousins not to rise to a level that we have seen, even against Arizona and other defenses where we've seen him play better than he did today, um, I'm not sure what to make of what the offense did, considering how they put up just 19 points against this Lions team. Yeah, I mean, he talked about, after the game, how much the Lions were able to take away Jefferson and Thielen just by playing safeties over the top and, and kind of forcing him to check the ball down. I get it, but at some point, and, and we saw him do it with KJ Osborne, you know, probably to his detriment. And we've heard him talk about that a couple times here. When I need to make a play, I'm going to go try to give my guys a chance, and that has backfired on him a couple of times. But the when Justin Jefferson ends the first half with 104 yards and he gets, I think, two targets in the second half, um, that that's not enough. I mean the especially when you don't have Dalvin Cook, you have to find the way to get hit the ball in his hands, I think, more than you did. And if they're going to play two deep safeties, okay. Um, still find ways to, to get him the ball and, and try to let him do things after the catch because he's shown he can do that. So, um, yeah, I, I thought that part of it was uh, was concerning. And, and they, they ran fine. I mean, you know, four and a half yards of pop for Alexander Madison. But um, – it's just not as dynamic without Dalvin Cook, and and if it's if you don't have him, you have to find other ways to kind of split things open. Yeah, and Jim Kirk seemed like he was just a couple unlucky bounces from three picks as opposed to the one that he got. And and to me, it was a, kind of a classic Kirk Cousins game. He threw accurately. He ended up with a good passing uh, per, completion percentage. He had open receivers, but. He didn't make the big play. He didn't produce points that would have made this. You know, they, they should have won this game by two touchdowns. And and you know, you can't let the other team take away Justin Jefferson in the second half, and while also taking away Adam Thielen. I mean, Adam Thielen did nothing in this game. Uh, so you know, your your two stars out there are Thielen and Jefferson. And Cousins was very willing to let the defense talk him out of throwing to them. And good teams will go against the defense's strength occasionally and win. You know, I mean, Adrian Peterson rushed for 2,000 yards against 
14-man lines. They didn't say, yeah. oh, oh no, the line's stacked. We can't give it to Adrian. Oh, no. You know, good passing teams will throw against any defense. Kirk's very willing to say, oh, geez, two safeties. I better throw it to the back and hope he breaks eight tackles. Well, and to that point, we still see them do that when they have to run the ball into those types of fronts mm-hmm. now. We see them, even against teams that, that stack up on Dalvin Cook, say, we're still going to run the ball. And I sometimes they get stuffed by that, but I think more often than not, they say we're still going to be able to do what we want to do, even if you're trying to stop it. There, you're right. There is something to that of saying we know you're going to try to stop what we do best because we've proven that you should try to stop it, but we're still good enough to beat you anyway. And yes, when when you don't give your guys a chance, and maybe some of that's play calling. Maybe you need to find different ways to get those guys the ball, but. Uh, when they don't touch – I mean, when, when Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson don't touch the ball more than twice in the second half until the last drive of the game and Dalvin Cook's not on the field, it is going to be tough to make it work. You, you just – it's going to be difficult to try to put up a ton of points when it's Alexander Madison, C.J. Ham, Tyler Conklin, K.J. Osborne, D.D. Westbrook. Uh, I, I think that was about it in terms of the guys that touched the ball. He threw it to Ben Ellison once. But, yeah, I mean – when it's not Thielen, Jefferson, Cook touching the ball, it's difficult for this team to score a lot of points. And I think one of those the, – the target to Ben Ellison, the tight end, was one that was deflected directly into the air. Yes. Nearly, it should have been intercepted. Nearly picked off. So, to your point, it didn't go that well. And I guess we should have mentioned this before 20 minutes into the podcast of how this was a rough one seemingly for Clint Kubiak. Trying to get this offense into a rhythm, trying to find something that worked. There was a third down play where it was a direct snap to Madison, this kind of gimmicky, gimmicky play that the Lions just blew up. Read it right away. Kirk's theatrics of pretending like the snap went over his head just didn't fool anybody. Um, and then there was one, it, it seemed like every time they got into a tough situation, it was just going to be, well, let's just run a screen and hope something happens. You know, they were doing that third and 20 draw play the Browns did, except they'd be on third and 10 and they were just going to give up on the play. And that just doesn't show any trust from the coaching staff into their players on offense. That, to me, all boiled down into Kirk shaking Mike Zimmer, saying, you like that, look what we just did for you on offense. I don't know that's what the impetus was for Kirk doing that, but he has every reason at some point to be like, just put the ball in our hands and let us go after it um, and try at least and not sit on the ball like they have so much and be so conservative. I will say this regarding the uh, super awkward and sort of – aggressive celebration between the two of them if they had a relationship that was such that we knew they were on the same page all the time you wouldn't make anything of it you'd say oh that's just these two they get along great these these two guys kind of having a yeah it looked awkward but it's fine it's it's just kind of a you know alpha male moment at the end of the game there is enough of a history with those two that those who would think this is a problem may be wrong in this particular instance, but it's not hard to see why you would arrive at that conclusion based on the relationship that they've had over the years and some of the tense moments that have come about during that relationship. And we will see if there are any more tense moments to come next Sunday in Carolina where the Vikings um, continue their NFC slate. They will face the Lions today, Panthers next, Cowboys coming out of the bye week after that. We will preview Sunday's game against the Panthers uh, from TCL Performance Center this week. Please make sure to check that out at startribune.com. Maybe you should get off the podcast. <laughs>